Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best friend Nick Dosel. How you doing there, Master? <laughs> you know, I gotta... I, every one of these makes me laugh and I can't get my, my, my line out. I'm excited to be here. Damn right. Amy Adams. Amy Adams. What happens when you tell someone you're getting ready to watch an Amy Adams movie? Or you just watch an Amy Adams movie? Or... You're spending two weeks researching Amy Adams for a podcast. <laughs> what tends to happen, or certainly what has happened to me, is that the person you're talking to says something to the effect of, oh, yeah, she's great. So many people get excited at the thought of watching Amy Adams act, and that's because I genuinely think she can do anything. And look, this may seem like obvious praise. Shouldn't an actor technically be able to act any character? You would hope so, but that definitely isn't the case. Because there are not many actors working today who can sing, dance, be joyful, be terrifying, be as authentic and effective with each wildly different role as Amy Adams. 100,000 million percent. Yes, to your point, any actor should be able to play these but can they all do them as believably, convincingly as she does? Right. Range. Adams has 64 acting credits on IMDb. Six of those have generated Oscar nominations for her. Amy Adams was born in Italy. She's a military brat, so there was a lot of moving around. And she was raised in Colorado with her seven siblings. And something I found really interesting is that Adams says... Faith is still a huge part of her life, and before she accepts any role, she first figures out the religious backgrounds of her characters. And I love that. And sometimes she admitted this is a little bit easier for her, uh, a nun in doubt, a religious leader's wife and the master. But that's a really cool way to work yourself into the character, especially if those religious implications aren't necessarily clear to the audience and she's not playing a character that is obviously religious. She, as an actor, is just packing all that shit in. She's filling herself up with backstory and intention, and then she shows up on set, and we get an Amy Adams performance. Adams' first big break comes when she does a catacall audition for Drop Dead Gorgeous and wins a small part. Three years later, she appears in Catch Me If You Can, in which Steven Spielberg said Adams was, after that performance, basically poised to become the next major star. And that doesn't really happen for reasons we'll get into. And it isn't for another three years when Adams appears in a tiny indie movie, Junebug, that she does indeed become a big star. Junebug launches her. It's the kind of sweet Sundance indie that was really popular in the mid-2000s. And Adams is so singular in it. It's such an obviously standout performance. And the fact that the world caught on is honestly magical because that's a really small movie and people really, really latched onto her. Junebug earns her her first Oscar nomination, and we're off to the races. I think that's really cool to talk about the religious aspect that she brings to her performances because, again, as an actor, whatever you use to find your way in is so beneficial and informative. And even if that conversation never comes up in a character's performance, what your religious background is or your beliefs are, it informs you to so much of how you look at things, how you see things. And one of the things that I and I have no idea if she actually does this or not, but it's something that I started to pick up a little bit is she always kind of feels like a different element in her roles. Some of her 
characters are more grounded in earth some are more flighty with winds some kind of move to the path of resistance or least resistance with water and then some are really fiery it's very very apparent it's a very very real thing that she inhabits and you just never deny who she is Mm -hmm. never deny what she's doing she doesn't ever seem out of place and that's a very, very cool quality to have as an actor. Is what you should have, but I mean, so many don't. And um, also a little quick little thing to... Amy Adams performed at the uh, Pacific Palisades Theater, where I have done a play or two. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I didn't that's know awesome. that too until like, my last show that I did there, and I go, oh, wow, that's really awesome. That is cool. We do have a lot of roles to dive into, so let's just dive right the hell in. I want to start with Catch Me If You Can in 2002. She's playing Brenda Strong. She's great. You really like her in this, though. Yeah, how can you not, man? I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, the first time you see her, she's a little secretary at a hospital. She just got scolded for not doing her job right. She's crying. And by the end of the scene, you are just, you just fall in love with her. Like, she, yeah. this mouthful of metal and this very flighty, airiness so if i'm talking about the elements i absolutely feel like she is definitely living in a wind air type of feeling with this character she's just so charming Mm -hmm. you know kind of looking at a character like that it, it, it gets us to understand her more and she's not in every single scene but she steals every single scene absolutely and then what's crazy and i alluded to this earlier is that when this movie comes out Adams has a real crisis of actor identity. I hope that's fair to say. I've read a lot of interviews with her, and she touched on this a lot. She's been very open in interviews, in fact, saying that she didn't feel like she deserved this. She deserved to win and become this big actress. She didn't know her place as an actress. And this led to a crisis in her confidence that took a few years for her to get a hold of. And I get this. I really respect that omission. By all accounts, Amy Adams seems delightful in every human respect, right? I mean, she's shy, dignified, but definitely down to give you a piece of her mind. And I imagine when a person comes from such humble beginnings, it can be really jarring to have the entire world looking at you overnight. And I I think the instinct for most people is something good happened to you, so capitalize on it, become a star. But not everyone is wired that way. And, you know... All's well that ends well because a few short years later, she's in Junebug as Ashley. This movie is about a big city art dealer who travels to rural North Carolina with her husband to look at a new artist. While they're there, they stay with the husband's family, including his loud, cheerful, incredibly pleasant, very pregnant sister-in-law, Ashley played by Amy Adams. You like this one, too, and you liked her work in it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think she's the reason to watch it. Yes, yes. It's a star-making performance in the most sweet, naive, and simplistic way. You know, she is a character that is comes out of high school with her high school sweetheart, gets pregnant, you know, and so she gets this city girl who comes to her home, and she just wants to connect with everything yeah. in her big, big heart. And it's not creepy. You can just tell she's coming at it from just such a... A simple, sweet place. And and I love this one particular scene where when the the woman who comes into the home says fuck. Mm-hmm. 
and you can see Amy Adams's reaction. She's like, like a lady doesn't say fuck. And and right. she is just completely taken aback by that. But then again, that kind of goes to like that religious aspect. Like, what is <laughs> a character who's brought up in that world think about another woman saying fuck? And then she tries to say it and she's like, yeah, fucking. <laughs> it's so good. She's so endearing in the movie. She has this effortless and bottomless charm. And the movie is not afraid to go dark, which kind of makes it hit that much more harder for her, for her character in the end. Um, Junebug turns into a big deal. It wins a special jury prize for acting at Sundance. Adams wins an Indie Spirit Award. And she's nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award and the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. So we got six of these to go through. We're going to do them as we go. First Oscar talk here. 2005. Supporting actress. You got Amy Adams, June Bug, Catherine Keener, Capote, Francis McDormand, North Country, Michelle Williams, Brokeback Mountain, Rachel Wise wins for The Constant Gardener. What do you think? You know what? I'm going to give it to Adams on this. Are you? That's... Oh, man, it's tough. I love Michelle. I have to go with Brokeback. Sorry, I... Sorry Amy. I just do. I love Michelle Williams in that movie. Ugh, so painful. Post Junebug, she has small but notable roles in Talladega Nights, Tenacious D, The X, but it's Enchanted in 2007 that really shows us a new Amy Adams. This story is simple. What if a Disney princess from an animated Disney film was plucked out of that animation and thrown into present-day, actual, real-life New York City? We see this fish-out-of-water plot a lot, and it's actually something that's really hard to pull off. Tom Hanks effectively playing an adult 13-year-old boy in Big is a great example of someone doing it right. But here's another great example, because Amy Adams is a real-life cartoon in this, and she is perfect. And I loved every second of this. I loved her. I adored her chemistry with James Morrison. It's great. From there, Adams works with Mike Nichols in Charlie Wilson's War. She goes back to Sundance with Sunshine Cleaning. Did you have any sidebar for Sunshine Cleaning? I just wanted to say about Sunshine Cleaning is that this was the first time, because up until this point, we have really kind of seen her in these very, very um, delightful performances where I feel like Mm -hmm. she kind of... That was her niche. Like that was kind of like her way in and she did it so, so well. And this was the first time that I think she got to play a a character that wasn't in that world, uh, didn't operate in that way. She was a uh, mother and poor and kind of leaning towards the help of a man that was her high school sweetheart. I mean, there was just a lot of complexity that went into that and seeing her in a in a role like that for the first time felt as natural as seeing her in any of the fun you know likable performances that she that we've been used to seeing her deliver up until that point. Yeah, it's a nice move into some somewhat darker material and then right after that we arrive at another completely unexpectedly delightful film Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day, and we love this one. Tell me your thoughts. This movie is so great. you got to see this. It, it was it's, great. It's a movie that does not get made. And even at the time, 2008, a movie like that didn't get made. Correct. It was a real throwback to a lot of the old comedies from the 1930s and 40s. But you've got two women as the, as the leads, and Frances McDormand and Amy Adams, who this is just pure theatrical comedy. 
gotta really commend her energy. To keep up a level of energy like that, that is just so charming, it drives everything. So to watch a character who know their strengths and weaknesses and fall into both of them so effortlessly and and you just get to watch her fly in another airy performance like she whips across the screen you said it so well i remember when i was watching this i text you and i'm like this is like a pg-13 kids movie and that really isn't made anymore i mean i thought this was going to be a kids movie and then like 10 minutes in i go they're this, this is sexually charged. Like, this is crazy. And it's still just so much fun. I It's so fun to dive into careers like this because you discover these gems that were just hiding in plain sight. And it was another good example for me to give every movie a chance. We're deep in 2008. This is a big year for Adams because a few months after Miss Pettigrew, Adams appears in doubt as the innocent, wide-eyed nun, Sister James. And... I got to tell you, I had a pretty profound reaction rewatching this movie for this post because I had only seen it once and watching it the second time, I want to share a little theory. I think Amy Adams is such a good actor that we take her for granted. She's subtle, so quiet, so on that we miss things the first time we watch her. And I think this is why she's been nominated six times and never won. Those losses do not in any way suggest that she isn't good at what she does. To me, these losses mean that maybe we're not paying close enough attention. For example, I'd only seen Doubt once, and frankly, I did not have many vivid memories of Adams in the movie. And when I rewatched it for this podcast, she's astounding. She's always doing something, and she's the only one of the four main characters who actually change. She starts so innocent and understanding, so full of faith and hope. But Meryl Streep plants this seed of doubt in her mind, and Sister James starts to change. She becomes colder. She disciplines her students. She lashes out. She's doubting what she's doing. She's turning into Meryl Streep's character, basically. Streep's nun is the same when that movie begins and when that movie ends. She's facing her doubts the whole time. She just isn't expressing them very clearly. Philip Seymour Hoffman, if that guy did it, then he's surely done it before and he's off to a new church. If he hadn't done it, then it's another false accusation and he's off to a new church. Viola Davis don't change. (laughs) She enters and leaves that scene with the exact same intention and motivation. Amy Adams' sister James, she changes. There's a full arc here that is, yeah, it's drowned out by flashier performances, but Adams is doing a lot here and this was one of my most profound rewatches of her work. I agree with you. I think she's... uh, She's being manipulated by both of these characters and whatever their agendas are, uh, you know, they're they're two people who have power over her and she starts feeling like her faith is being tested. And, you know, if I want to go back to the elemental kind of side of her performance, this kind of reminds me of water because she kind of is being directed like in a stream, like go this way. No, okay, now we're going to go this way. And she's just kind of moving at the circumstances of her situation, not knowing what to do in them. Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't really grasp an actual idea of it until the end. And because she doesn't like to think about something bad happening. 
because there's there's no real big performance in that movie from her like we see with Streep and Hoffman. Right. She's really just the the person who's bubbling the entire time with discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. More Oscar talk here. She's nominated for Supporting Actress alongside her co-star Viola Davis in Doubt, Taraji P. Henson, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler. We went through this category when we covered The Wrestler. Penelope Cruz wins for Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yeah, I think that's fair. A fair win. I'd be fine with Cruz, Adams, David. I mean, any of them. After Doubt, Adams is in three big studio comedies, Night at the Museum 2, Julie and Julia, and Leap Year. And then toward the end of 2010, she completely and purposely reinvents her career by playing Charlene in The Fighter. And that's where most of my thoughts are regarding this performance. According to Adams and director David O. Russell, Adams was very actively trying to branch out and play something new, something a little darker. And here she is as a tough, crass bartender in Lowell, Massachusetts. She keeps her voice really low. I really like that choice to play it low. And she doesn't take shit from anyone. She more than holds her own, and I love that we're seeing this new version of Adam's spring to life in this movie. This is my favorite Amy Adams performance. Nice. Yeah, this was the one that came around that was unlike anything she'd ever done because she was fearless. Charlene is just is a picture-perfect example of tough, strong-willed women who know their environment I think this performance lives in fire if we're the, for the elemental aspect of it. An area for her that we don't really get to see very much. Yeah, true. And she controls everyone in not a manipulative way. That's the one cool thing about this performance that I really liked is that, you know, she sort of gets Mark Wahlberg's character to change for the better, but she doesn't manipulate. She sees the truth and what he needs. And she's just like, you're either going to fucking do this for me or I'm not going to be a part of your life because Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be with someone who doesn't hold themselves up to the standards that I hold myself to in Lowell, Massachusetts. So another performance, another Best Supporting Actress nomination, 2010. We have Amy Adams in The Fighter, Helena Bonham Carter in The King's Speech, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit, Jackie Weaver in Animal Kingdom, Melissa Leo for The Fighter Wins. I'm happy to give this to Adams. I wanted her to win at the time. Well, I wanted her to win. And then I saw Animal Kingdom and I was like, holy shit, Jackie Weaver is great in that. And she still is. But today, here, now, my vote is for Adams. I'm not taking anything away from Leo. She's great in it. She knows exactly what she's doing. But I think this is a fair win for Adams. And I'd have to agree. I mean, Melissa Leo is is utterly fantastic. That movie's acting is on another level. Yeah, I think I'd actually give it to Adams for that. After the fighter... Adams has a lot of fun in The Muppets in 2011, but her next dramatic role is as Peggy Dodd, Philip Seymour Hoffman's commanding wife in The Master. This is one of her best, undoubtedly. This is a performance that hit for me in the theater, and it hits even harder now. I love Peggy Dodd. There's endless things to say about her. You talk about someone doing a lot when she isn't in focus. She's in the background a lot in these scenes. Ooh, that glare, that stare. Tell me about Peggy Dodd. What do you think? She is fueled and ruled and motivated by power. I I like to question whether or not she believes the religion. It's an interesting thing to ask. This is. And my retort to that, honest to God, is that she, I believe she believes it more than anyone else, more than Hoffman. 
I believe she is the premier believer and fighter of the cause. And I think she genuinely believes in it more than Hoffman. I think she's pissed off that her husband is giving Joaquin Phoenix so many chances right up until the end when she just storms out. She's like, he's not taking this seriously. This is, this is dumb. I'm leaving. So that's my read on it. But I love that scene because at the end, she's off in the corner and he's behind the desk, but she's the one who controls that whole entire conversation. Yep. You know, and again, another hypothetical question is for Joaquin Phoenix, you know, I think he, his character in that movie had such a special relationship with her because she tried to help him mm-hmm. and he never crossed her like he did with everybody else. I think she is the only person he is afraid of. Yeah. I think he's genuinely afraid of the power that this woman has over the master. So therefore, does that make her the master? I don't know. It's a great movie. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You got Amy Adams for the master, Sally Field Lincoln. Helen Hunt, The Sessions, Jackie Weaver, Silver Linings Playbook, Anne Hathaway wins for Les Miserables. This is Amy Adams by uh, as long of a mile as there possibly is. Yeah. I got, yeah, I'll give it to Adams. Adams is cooking now. She plays Clint Eastwood's daughter in Trouble with the Curve, Lois Lane in Man of Steel, thereby emerging herself into the DC Extended Universe. Nice move. Good paychecks. She's reunited with Joaquin Phoenix and her, and then reunited with David O. Russell and... American Hustle, and we do have to have an American Hustle conversation, if ever so briefly. Um, hmm. I don't like this movie, and I don't like the way it was made, and I particularly don't like what David O. Russell put Amy Adams through during this shoot. I'm not going to go into details. Adams did that herself in a very necessary interview with British GQ in 2016. Those are my main thoughts on American Hustle. <laughs> you want to elaborate at all? I really liked her in this. She has a line in where she says that she basically wanted to do anything with her life that that was not what she was in the beginning. And that's an interesting character right there. And that's just someone that's like, wow, you don't care what you do as long as it gets you out of what you're doing right now or who you are right now. She loses herself in the choices that she makes. And to watch any actor lose i think is a very interesting thing to see and uh that's what i give to the work in american hustle is very cool to see her in that type of role i love amy adams and everything i like jennifer lawrence a lot in this movie movie's just not for me you know i agree fair enough moving on so then let's jump right into 2013 this is her first and still only best actress nomination she actually wins the golden globe for american hustle which is great but for the oscar she's nominated alongside Sandra Bullock for Gravity, Judy Dench, Philomena, Meryl Streep for August Osage County, loses to Kate Blanchett, Blue Jasmine. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. The next year, Adams has another starring role, this time in Tim Burton's Big Eyes. And I was so happy to hear that you love this one. This is uh this is a personal one for me because um I'm kind of very sensitive to single mother stories growing up with a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so watching this movie, really just feeling a lot of pride for women that that at that time, women didn't weren't seen as being talented, weren't seen as being worth anything other than the typical housewife role that was given to them. So I take a lot of 
resentment towards that because I grew up with a single mom who I view as powerful. And so watching Amy Adams's character, who is clearly at the start of this movie, um, someone who is very fragile. And the first, you know, she does this big thing where she leaves her husband and then takes her kid and just goes off to start a new life. And it's very scary. But she ends up immediately falling into a relationship with Christoph Waltz, who is amazing to watch in this movie. A weasel like no other. Oh, yeah. I think the thing about this movie is the story. It's just the the fact that this happened and the fact that we get to see justice and right come out of it and watching Adams go along for that ride. It's very subtle, but there's this one scene with a dog and she's like, I did all these paintings, every single one of them. And the power that she has when she says it's the first ownership that she takes for herself in this story. And I just loved it. I just loved it. So I, I loved the payoff that we get. It's a simple story, but one that means something to me. Absolutely. Simple film, simple story, well told. She wins another Golden Globe, but sadly misses an Oscar nomination. Two years later, however, Adams delivers two of the best performances of her career. First up as Dr. Louise Banks in Arrival. And to be honest, this was the film I had the most profound reaction to rewatching it for this episode. I liked Arrival a lot already, but I'm indebted to it now. And it's a little hard to talk about the power of Adams's performance in this movie without spoiling the film. And there are some people who haven't seen this, like my dad, who's got to see it. <laughs> <laughs> On the surface, the movie is about aliens coming to Earth and humans attempting to communicate with them. How many times have we seen that? But that's really not what Arrival is about at all. That's just the flair. It's really, and that's really, really cool flair. Don't get me wrong. But Arrival is about motherhood. It's about realizing your place in the world and being comfortable with the decisions you've made. We all make decisions and those decisions impact our lives. None of us, however, have the benefit or the curse of knowing how these decisions will factually play out because that's life. We live in a world where time moves in one direction and no one knows the future. This is what makes the final 10 minutes of this movie so powerful because what if you could see how your life would play out? Would you make the same decisions knowing that some choices will bring you an equal amount of joy and pain? That hug at the end of the movie isn't just a hug because when we hug someone for the first time, we are experiencing that initial feeling of comfort. When Louise Banks hugs a character for the first time, she's definitely feeling that initial comfort, but she also knows what this hug leads to. And all of that, all of that pain, that certainty, love, joy, that all plays out on Adams's face. She isn't simply agreeing to have a child. She's deciding to have a child knowing what that will lead to. I'm trying to speak as general and kind of unclearly as I can because I want people to see this. And I missed all this the first two times I saw this movie. Straight up, I was concentrating on the flair, the spectacle, the music, the cinematography, and I think a lot of other people were too. I think that's why Adams wasn't nominated for this work, which is objectively some of the best work she's ever done. And I really have a newfound love for this movie and this performance. We were actually texting about it last night, and it's remarkably subtled and layered work from Adams that there's a lot of power and a lot of weight to that. And I was really, really, really taken with the movie this time. Yeah, Man, that's such a cool 
I I love that. I love all of that. That's that's oh man. See, this is what it is, man. So what's all fucking about? Damn right. To have that reaction um, from just a performance is when our chords are hit because something resonated. Something that she felt in in this movie resonates with you in that way. You can't fake that. What I liked about her in this, if I'm going back to my element kind of conversation with her that I find so cool is this is one of the first times that I find her really grounded. Like she is living in an earth kind of place in this and the decisions that she makes, you can feel the weight of them. Mm -hmm. That's a very mature, mature point of view. And she carries throughout in her performance in that. God, I love her in it. And then a few months later, she wows us once again with a beautifully cold portrayal of Susan Morrow in Nocturnal Animals. Adams carries this film, holding three narratives together at the same time. We both love this movie. We love everything about it, including and especially Adams's work. But we're going to keep our thoughts brief on this because our next podcast episode is a dedicated deep dive into Nocturnal Animals. So please come back for the next episode. We promise we have a lot of thoughts on this movie. We're not intentionally trying to be lame and breeze over it here. But as we were talking about Amy Adams, we basically realized we had a lot to say about Susan and Nocturnal Animals. So we may as well branch out and dedicate an entire episode to it. So stay tuned for that. We love it so much that it gets its own episode. Adams is in Justice League in 2017 and 2018 brings two huge performances from her. First up is as Lynn Cheney and Adam McKay's Vice. Again, it's Adams showing up and being the emotional anchor of a lead performance. She's really game in this. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is, again, like this is a collaboration that she has with Christian Bale. This is the third movie that they've worked on together. I don't think they get talked about enough of how good they are together. And the, I think my favorite thing of this whole entire movie is how they are with each other. She is very, very involved, but she's not dominating. He wears the pants in the relationship, but she tells him which pair to wear. Well said. Yeah, and there's an entire history that the movie touches on, but I think it's their performances, how they are together, that really make you feel that. And so I really like watching this movie for watching the two of them together. Another performance, another Best Supporting Actress nomination. Amy Adams for Vice, Marina D. Tavaria for Roma, Emma Stone and Rachel Wise for The Favorite. They all lose to Regina King if Beale Street could talk. Tough one because I love Regina King. I loved her in that movie. I also really like Rachel Wise in The Favorite. So time will tell with that one. Yeah, it will. It's it's still early. I'm fine with Regina King. Regina King was so powerful in that movie. Oh. Yeah, she really was. And finally, we arrive at Camille Preaker mm. in the HBO miniseries Sharp Objects. Adams has eight hours to flesh out Camille Preaker, and that gives us some of the best work Adams has done yet, if not the best. Camille Preaker is a broken woman, unable to cope with her traumatic past. Adams is flawless in this. She also took on a producer role of the show, so her freedom to explore this character feels somewhat boundless. It's something we haven't seen from her before. It's Camille really does not make wise decisions for herself, and I love when a show like this is carried on the shoulders of such a flawed character. A lot of fun rewatching this really intense miniseries. This was your first Sharp Objects experience, though, right? Yeah, I had not watched this and did it for this this podcast as preparation, and um, 
it's great. It's really great. It's a slow burn, but I like slow burns. I really, we talked about this in terms of the filmmaking aspect of it. Um, the the edits, the way it's cut, you kind of have to get used to it. It's almost like um, your ear has to get attuned to Shakespeare when you fear, first hear it because you're not used to hearing language like that. And you're not used to seeing so much cutting in this way. But once you do, you really kind of fall into, this is how she sees the world. Mm -hmm. She is bouncing back and forth between what's going on in front of her and her past all the time, which is why you understand she's as broken as she is and what she can't get over. And once you realize that that's all part of her, it makes her story so interesting to watch. She's very grounded. Again, this is a very earthly performance, maybe the most grounded that she is because she is never, what I find so interesting, she is never rattled by the actual moment in front of her. She actually, in the moment, handles herself. It's her past that breaks her. Mm -hmm. And that's a cool way to view a character too. It was a lot of fun to rewatch that one, knowing where it's going to go, which I'm certainly not going to spoil here. But the first time I watched that, one of her first scenes is showing up to that motel and she pulls out that really wrinkled brown paper bag and she dumps it out. And there's just tons of like airplane liquor bottles, a cart of smokes and a bunch of candy bars. And I was like, oh, Amy Adams is going for it here. Yeah. This is going to be a fun eight hours. And it's it's a new eight hours for her. And I love it. And. Brief awards talk here. Adams was nominated for everything for Sharp Objects, the Golden Globe and the Screen Actors Guild Award, which she lost to Patricia Arquette for Escape at Denimora, oh. and the Emmy, which she lost to Michelle Williams in Fosse Verdon. Oh. And I'm sorry, but those are two, those are tough but fair losses. Those are, wow. One of the real good benefits about TV lately, and especially these miniseries, is that it gives these remarkable women roles to fully jump into and Patricia Arquette had hit it with boyhood a few years before but she had never been given something like this big and this dark same with Amy Adams it's like here's eight hours go have fun be dark Michelle Williams is great in Fosse Verdon it's oh. like here here's nine hours go go play all three of those are just so incredible watching experiences yeah I mean Oof. how do you pick and then the age-old question when in the hell will Amy Adams win her Oscar? Oh. It has to happen eventually. It has to. Hillbilly Elegy was released on Netflix late last year. Netflix tried to push it hard. Ron Howard, Brian Grazer. It was based on a popular book. And it just kind of fizzled away. It certainly didn't do well with critics. But who knows if Netflix is going to push for Adams and or Glenn Close to receive Oscar nominations. I don't know, but at any rate, I can't foresee Adams winning for this. <laughs> There's a long gestating Janis Joplin biopic that she's been trying to make for years and years. And that's my prediction. If that Joplin biopic gets a good director, that could be Amy Adams's Oscar. Oh. So can someone please make that happen? I mean, Amy Adams movies make good money and she, they also generate Oscar buzz. So like, what the hell's going on, folks? I mean, it's Amy Adams, <laughs> psychedelic rock. Heroin, late sixties. I know. I'm that, in. That, I mean, that's so Oscar bait material. Like, it, come it's on, it's a biopic. You're gonna win. It's just kind of a foregone conclusion at this point. <laughs> but and she would do well with that's that. That's what I mean. Yeah, like like that. All being said, like taking on a role like that and seeing Amy Adams do that, 
Yeah, that won't just be Oscar bait. Uh, that'll be a surefire performance. We're nearing the end here. Best roles. I want the top three. Three, two, one. I'll go first. It's three nocturnal animals, two sharp objects, one arrival. And I love Amy Adams, but arrival pulled out in a big way for me as the runaway winner. But you already told us you're number one. But Yep. So I'll, go, so I'll start going. Number one, favorite, the fighter. Number two, sharp objects. And three, Junebug. Oh, nice. It becomes the reason to watch the movie is just because of her. And I actually mm-hmm. can't picture someone else in that role. She actually has a handful of movies that I feel that way about. Totally agree. The Fighter and Sharp Objects. I, I'm like, wow, I don't. This is you. This is completely you. But I felt that way about Junebug. So I love that. Now we arrive at what are you watching? We're going to give you some recommendations. I'm going to go first this time. In 2010, Rotten Tomatoes asked Amy Adams to talk about five of her favorite films, one of which was Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. And I love that. So I'm going to recommend Vertigo. It sounds like Adams has a long and fun history with this movie. She studied it to death in high school and she still loves it to this day. Vertigo is a really complicated movie that to me is impossible to understand with one or even two viewings. It's so maddening and trippy and yeah, I mean, it's got to be Hitch's most complicated film. Never a bad time to check out Vertigo. And the other four films Adam's picked just for those who were interested, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, Shawshank Redemption, and Polly from 1998. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. You know, looking at that list that she just put out of her favorite movies, I can see the type of actor that she is in all of those. Yeah. I You actually just changed my recommendation because it hit me that hard. Um, I'm going to recommend, what are you watching, Escape from Donnamora. No, oh, good call. That miniseries is just fantastic. It's Ben fucking Stiller directs the shit out of that thing. And it's so great. Yeah, Escape from Donnamora. It's available on Showtime. It sure is. So many shows and miniseries jump back to the past in their penultimate episode. So many modern shows do that. I don't know what it is. This is the best one that ever does that. Yeah. It's my favorite episode. And the jump in the past episode is never my favorite episode. You said it, like Ben fucking Stiller. Wow. Yeah. Great miniseries. Great call. Great call on that. On that, I like that. I agree with you. Um, all shows do do that. I never really thought about that. They yeah. always do jump at some point, jump back and... It's usually the second to last episode of the first season. Yep. Usually. And if it's a miniseries, it's almost always the second to last episode. Sharp Objects never did because it does it throughout. Throughout. But yeah, a lot of shows do it. But yeah, Escape from Danamora really does that well. Yeah, it does. That's it from us, folks. Amy Adams, we love you. We can't wait to see what she's in next. We're cheerleaders for that Oscar. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and happy watching. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, we're going to stick with Amy Adams by diving into Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals. This is one weird-ass movie, and we do love it. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.